as your Savior. If you have your Bibles and you can stand with me, one verse for our text this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20. The Bible says that our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, in case you don't know who it is, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Draw us near to yours, that we might be more like you. Challenge us. We ask it all in the precious name of Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. Except for Brother Rick. Uh, Brother Rick and Ruby had company come in from California last evening. I guess early this morning. Yeah, a couple hours ago. So I told Brother Rick, I said, now look, while I preach, you've got to stand up this morning. Because I know he'll be going to sleep on me. But anyway, we're thankful for their safe travel. They're here. Everybody's okay. We give God the praise for that. Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were here last week, you you might remember that we looked at that word conversation. That's the word the King James Bible uses. But it's not referring to our speech, the way we talk. That word in the Greek, it denotes a community, a citizenship, or a commonwealth. And I realize that we're celebrating the 4th of July, the birth of our nation. And I am thankful to be a part of this nation. But I want to remind you, I am just a pilgrim here. I'm just passing through. Because my real citizenship, and that's what the Greek word for conversation means, my real citizenship is in heaven, not on this earth. And I want to remind you, and I don't, I don't want to be a prophet of doom, but it's going to, on this earth, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And it's not going to get better until Jesus comes. And when he comes, he will make all things new, and he will make all things right. So, one of these days, if you're a child of God, we are going to experience all the special privileges of being a citizen of heaven. And only because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary, because we all belong to him. Let me make sure I'm all I am on. Okay. The last part of that verse, in verse 20, Philippians 3, the Bible said, from whence also we look for the Savior. How many know he's coming again? He is coming again. He returned on a cloud back to heaven. He is coming again. He promised us that if he went away to prepare a place, and he did, he said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And so he's coming again, and guess where we're going if you're a child of God? We're going to heaven. We are going To heaven. And because of that promise and that certainty, we spent the last month or so looking at developing a heavenly mindset. 
And today we're going to continue that thought, but our focus this morning is how heavenly things should affect the way we live, how it ought to affect our lives. How many are going to heaven? Come on, amen. How many are glad? Amen. You heard the story uh, one time the preacher asked the congregation, how many want to go to heaven? And everybody, uh, but one little boy raised his hand. Well, after the church service, the pastor was worried and he said, son, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, I do, but I thought you were talking about the next load. <laughs> it's like a lot of us, right? Heaven's our home, folks. And because that's going to be our eternal home, because that is where our citizenship is, our lives should be permeated with heavenly things. So we begin this last week. Number one, if we are born again, if you are born again, we will have a desire to seek heavenly things. Colossians 3 verse 1, we read it last week, let's read it again. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, I realize that's a command. Very clear. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. But I submit to you today, if you are born again, if you indeed are with Christ, you will want to seek those things that are above. Jesus said, you obey my commandments and they'll not be a burden to you. We'll want to do that. So the question I have to ask, am I seeking heavenly things? Do heavenly things have a place in my life? Now, where to seek those things where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God? And where is that at? It's in heaven. We're to seek those things. So what does that mean? If we're seeking heavenly things, it simply means we are to search out the thoughts of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to try to learn about Him, search out His thoughts, and and try to figure out and learn how to make it practical in our lives down here. Some years ago, there was a fad going through Christianity, and uh, we began to ask, what would Jesus do? And I think it's a good question to ask. Whatever we're getting involved with, what would Jesus do right now? And the reason we need to seek out his thoughts, how many know that God's thoughts are diametrically opposed to the thoughts of this world? Think about that. And it doesn't matter how many people say something is right. If God says it's wrong, guess what? It is wrong. That's why we've got to seek out God's thoughts. We need to begin to think about what God thinks about, what Jesus wants, and begin to apply that in our lives every day as we walk in this world. So the question I ask again, are you seeking heavenly things? So number one, if you're saved, you will want to seek heavenly things. Number two, if you're saved, you will desire to mind heavenly things. Look at verse 2, Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. How many know one of the hardest things to control is our mind? Isn't it true? 
The things we think about. The things we mind. The things we have our affection on. And the Bible says, I'm to set my mind not on things of this earth, but on things above. Where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. And so to set our mind on things above, it means to set our mind or to think about heavenly matters. We think about heavenly matters. Now, by the way, of course, Paul is writing here, but the Bible itself doesn't mean that we are so intently uh, focused on heavenly things that we cannot function in this world. Now, by the way, I learned a long time ago, we can focus on Christ and still live in this world. In fact, I wouldn't want to try to live in this world without Christ. I need him every day. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church of Thessalonica. And in his first letter, he explained to the church that Christ is coming quickly. Christ is coming suddenly. And he might come today. But what happened was they, there was a wrong response. Because some of the people at Thessalonica, they were so heavenly minded, they couldn't function in this world. They wouldn't. And evidently, some of them really believed that Christ was going to come really soon. Now, he could. It's imminent. We know that. And because of that mindset, a lot of people said, you know what? He might come tomorrow. He might come next week. So they called into work and gave the resignation. We are not going to work. I don't think they called into work, okay? They simply said, we're not going to work. We're going to do nothing. We're going to sit here and we're going to gaze into heaven. We're going to focus on heavenly things. We don't have time for anything else. We're not going to do anything else. Now, if you know the Apostle Paul, he doesn't mince words. Isn't that true? He never read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> he, he didn't care about that. So he warns him. He rebukes him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. What a welfare program. Amen? Now, by the way, let me interject here. I am all for the person who cannot work, who is disabled. I think we ought to help them out. But Paul says, if you have no problem working, you don't want to, guess what? You're not going to eat. Now, you may not can tell it, but I like to eat. Except peas. But Paul says, okay, you don't want to work? You don't eat. If you're unwilling to work, those who refuse to work, when you're able to work, when there's work to be done, Paul said, if you don't work, we're not going to give you any food. And he said, I told you that when I was there. 
Look at verse 11, same chapter, 2 Thessalonians 3. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now remember, Paul was not there. He's in Corinth when he wrote this letter. But news got back to him. He heard that there were some believers, some Christians in Thessalonica who were walking disorderly. They refused to work. Now, certainly there's a possibility here. These people, in their mind, were doing this for spiritual reasons. We want to be closer to God, whatever they might have used. And by the way, there were some in the church, false teachers by the way, who were teaching that because Christ could come anytime, any day, you should stop doing anything else. Set aside any responsibility you have, quit work, don't plan, just wait on the Lord. I know you remember, if you've ever read your Bible very often, when Christ was taken to heaven, and we can only imagine, <coughs> we would have done the same thing. The disciples stood there what? Gazing. And what did the angels say? Stop it. He's coming again, and the vacation is, get to work until he does. And yet at Thessalonica, they said, we could have been they thought that manual work was beneath them. We only do spiritual things. But the problem was, Paul says, because they weren't busy, they became busy bodies. How many know what those people are? <laughs> Amen. They became busy bodies. Instead of working, they decided that we're going to mind other people's businesses. We're going to pry into their private lives. And we're going to interfere with their progress. Busybodies. Now again, no matter what they thought, they may have thought they were being spiritual. But Paul says, look, settle down and earn the bread you eat. Settle down and earn the bread you eat. So what Paul is saying is this. Get back to normal life. So please understand. Paul expected them to get back to normal life. And so when the word of God says we are to mind or set our affection on heavenly things, it does not mean that we're to be so intently focused on heaven that we simply cannot function in this world. But what it does mean is this. It means that the things of heaven always permeate our thinking. We live in the world. We work in the world. We, we take responsibilities all in light of heaven. What God wants us to do. We're to meditate, the Bible says, on everything that is praiseworthy. And by the way, how many know you can meditate while you work? Amen. I uh, 
Boy, I tell you, I, I, I made pizza uh, chili yesterday. I must say it's probably the greatest chili I ever had. I'm humble. You can tell that, right? So I dreamed last night. I was preaching a message on how to make chili. But I don't think God was in that, all right? I don't think God was in that. But you don't know how many times, and I know the same is true with you. You read a verse in your morning devotion, and all day long you meditate on that verse. You saturate in it, and you realize, yeah, I'm doing my job. I'm doing whatever I need to do. But my mind is still set on heavenly things. Philippians 4.8, you know the verse. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those are heavenly things. They are to consume our, mind, our thought as we do our responsibilities in this world. Paul also wrote a couple of letters to a young preacher named Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul says this to Timothy. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting might appear to all. Now that word holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, it means to give ourselves completely over. Give ourselves completely over. Make it our number one priority. And Paul says to Timothy, these things I've taught you, give yourself wholly to them. And whenever we apply ourselves wholly, completely to biblical instruction, there will be progress in our lives, and people will see that we're growing in our knowledge, in our walk, with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we've got to give ourselves completely, wholly to them, and they will see progress. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 6. The Bible says to be carnally, carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So when the Bible talks about our minds, to be carnally minded or to be spiritually minded, whatever the case is. The mind refers to our mindsets. How do we think? What is our worldview? And church, our worldview needs to be a biblical worldview. Our, our worldview needs to be a biblical worldview. Amen. All right. It has to be a biblical worldview. And Paul says, if we choose, the carnal mind means our flesh. If we choose to follow our flesh, it's going to result in death. Both spiritual death as well as physical death. But Paul also says, if we choose to follow the Spirit. Choose to follow the Spirit, Paul says. It'll bring us full life. On this earth, it will result in eternal life in heaven, but it also will result in peace with God. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for the peace I have with God. Amen. Thankful for the peace I have with God. And literally what the Bible says, our mind 
if our mind belongs to the flesh, we're going to die spiritually and physically. But if our mind belongs to the spirit, we're going to live. Abundant life here and eternal life in heaven. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 5. Now again, to seek and to have our mind on heavenly things, we think like Christ thinks. How did Christ think? Paul says in verse 5, Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, by the way, we're not going to go into detail, but Paul goes into an exhaustive detail of all that Jesus did. But the good news is, if we want to know what kind of mindset we ought to have, Paul gives us an example to follow. And guess who that example is? It's Jesus. Follow his mindset. And so we ought to adopt the same attitude. We ought to have the same frame of mind that was found in Jesus Christ. He humbled himself, Paul says. He became obedient, even obedient to the death of the cross. And the Bible commands us to have the same mind that Jesus Christ had. We're to follow and imitate him. So my question again, are we, are we setting our mind on heavenly things? We're not to have our mind focused on things of the earth. Because that means we, if you fill your mind with things on this earth, they're only temporal. We were, uh, on Sunday night a week or so ago, preaching from the book of Ezra and how they laid the foundation temple and there was a mixture of reaction. Uh, some of the uh, younger people rejoiced. They'd never seen the temple. But the King James says some of the ancient ones, the ancient people. The ancient people. Uh, I catch Pam every once in a while. She says, I went to Walmart or whatever I went today and there were two older people in line in front of me. I said, older? I mean, the only one older than, that I know than me is Rick. <laughs> Maybe Dick Harvey, I don't know. But we're there. And you know, I realize the older I get, everything in this world is temporary. And if I focus on things on this earth, I'm focusing on things that are not going to last. I don't know about you, but I want to focus on things that will last forever. That's why we've got to have a heavenly mindset. And by the way, Ricky mentioned our, our nation, and we're in, we're in trouble as a nation. But our world as a whole is filled with evil. Everywhere you look, everything you read or hear on television, it's all filled with greed, with evil. And so we have a choice. Do I want to fill my mind with that kind of stuff? No, thank you. Or do I want to fill my mind with heavenly things? And folks, listen, I mentioned earlier, the, the mind is our battleground. We can choose to fill our mind uh, with those who have more than we do, or we can choose to fill our mind with impure, wrong thoughts, or, or we can choose uh, to fill our mind with, uh, well, you can, any evil thing you can think about. How many know your mind is the devil's battleground? Yeah. And that's why we need that shield of faith. But I want to tell you, folks, I don't care how ancient you become, he will always be throwing those fiery darts. 
the shield of faith quenches those fiery darts. So that's why we need to be careful. And hear me well. We need to guard what we watch on television. We need to guard the books we read. And by the way, we need to guard the kind of friends we choose. Now think about that. So again, are you thinking on things above? Or is your mind focused on things below? And I'm convinced if you are born again, you will desire to think on those things above. So number one, we'll have a desire to seek heavenly things. Number two, we'll have a desire to mind heavenly things. But number three, and here's the one, we will have a desire to live heavenly things. Colossians 2, verses, I'm sorry, Colossians 3, verse 3 and 4. The Bible says you are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Brother Paul, you prayed an excellent prayer just a while ago, and I loved it. I'm longing for the day when I stand before God. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. And when we get to verse 3 and 4 of Colossians chapter 1, living heavenly things, I want to tell you something, folks. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is crunch time. This is where it's at. Because, again, Paul has been, in the first two verses, speaking about our mind, how we think. That was his focus. And now, Paul leaves focusing on our mind, and he says, let's talk about how you live. Uh Uh-oh. Let's take a look about how we are to live. So what's Paul saying? Not only must our minds be on heavenly things, Paul says we must also live heavenly things. Now, I only know one way to preach. That's to give it to you straight. If you have to wear a cross around your neck to tell somebody you're a Christian, something's wrong with your life. Amen. If you have to put any outward display, any kind of sign, flashing lights or whatever, I don't care what it is, to let people know you live for Christ, something is wrong in your life. I would check your salvation. I remember when I first hired in at General Motors many years ago now. And they put me in the paint department for the first time. And, uh, of course, I had to be trained on certain jobs. And one fellow was there, and we, he worked with me about two or three days. He said, hey, he said, I can tell by the way you act, you must be a Christian. I never said one word to him about it. And folks, if you live for God, if you're saved, people will know it. You don't have to push it in their face. They're going to know it. You need to share the gospel. I don't mean that. So Paul says, look, (laughs) take a look at how you behave. Take a look at your behavior if you live for Christ. And Paul reminds us 
Whenever we were baptized into Christ, we died to the old man. Should have had you sing that song again today, Rick. It will work. The old man is dead. And the Bible says, and the Bible affirms the fact that we have died to sin. In Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. Notice the first part of that verse. And they that are Christ. How many here today would say, preacher, I belong to Christ? Raise your hand. Come on. Don't be ashamed of it. Amen. Good. Glory to God. So Paul says, if you belong to Christ, sinful human desire, that's the flesh, oppose the Spirit of God, and they oppose each other. So, Paul says, if you belong to Christ, you have crucified that flesh, those sinful desires, along with the affections and the lusts that come with it. You have crucified them. So, if we belong to Christ, all who belong to Christ Jesus, we now have victory, thank God, over sinful desires to the degree that we have crucified the flesh. That's important. To the degree. Years ago, I think it might have been at our conference, Jeremy gave a devotion, where John the Baptist says, I must decrease, talking about himself, he, Jesus, must increase. And the language is, the more Jesus increases in your life, the less you decrease, the more you decrease. It works. The same is true here. Because our victory over the flesh is in relation to the same degree we have crucified the flesh. Now, I don't know about you, but my favorite person is me. Amen? After me, you come first. I mean, come on. That's true for all of us. And that's what the flesh says. And it's hard to to overcome the desires of the flesh. But because I belong to Christ, I have crucified the flesh and all of those desires. Now, by the way... If you've been saved for any length of time, I want you to understand, you know this, it doesn't mean we actually die. Because our sinful human desires don't really die. Now, i got to tell you, it'd be a whole lot easier if they did. Amen? A whole lot easier. And because we have a sinful nature, that sinful nature continues... To come at us. It continues to try to seduce us. And the problem is, if you're not careful, you'll be confused. Because a lot of Christians are confused because that old self, that old man we talked about, has been crucified and has died. And they know that. The Bible says so. But they say, you know what? I know that's true, but my flesh is still attacking me. I want to say, join the crowd. Amen? Join the crowd. It's true. But here's what we have to realize. Real crucifixion, like our sinful nature, 
is a long, slow, painful, lifelong process. Amen. It is a life, a lifelong, very painful process. And so in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, our sinful human desires need to be crucified every day. Every day. Now the picture that's conveyed by crucifixion of the flesh, what that does, it tells us that God has broken the power of sin at work in our body. In other words, we don't have to give in. God has broken the domination sin once had over us. Now I realize there are days and times in our life it may not feel like that. But how many know if God says something happened, it happened. God took care of that on Calvary. And so the bottom line is, even though it may not feel like it all the time, we don't have to allow sin to have control over us. Now remember the day you got saved, God didn't take you out of this world. And when we got saved, God didn't make us robots or puppets with strings on us. And because of that, we will still experience temptation to sin. And sometimes, and I don't like to say this, but it's true, sometimes we will sin. But my friend, if sin is the norm in your life, check your salvation out. God has broken the power of sin in our lives. So what happens when we do sin? Thank God, through Jesus Christ, forgiveness is offered. He offers forgiveness and it's always available to us. And as we continue to repent of sin, we will always receive God's forgiveness. The Bible says, I don't have this verse, Jeremy, if we confess our sins to God, that word confess means that we agree that we have sinned, we have broken God's law, we've broken God's heart. If we confess our sins to God, God, He is just and faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many are glad for that? Amen. And I want to tell you, folks, if you're a child of God, keep a clean slate. Keep a clean slate. We have to remember, because we are united with Christ, because we are united with Christ in His death, having crucified that sinful nature, we have victory. We have victory. Am I saying I'm sinless? Not at all. But I will tell you one thing. I sin a lot less. Because Christ is in me. So our conduct changes. Our attitudes change. And the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow within us because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary for us. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? 
So the question we have to ask ourselves, are you dead to sin? Are you dead to sin? Are you still living in sin? Is a sinful lifestyle a part of your daily life? If it is, I want to say, you've not been born again. You've not been born again. So the Bible says, Paul says, we just read a moment ago there, verse 3 and 4, Colossians 1. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. So what does that mean? That our life is hidden with Christ in God. It simply means, if you're living where you ought to be with Christ, when people look at you, they don't see you, they see who? They see Christ. They see the Lord Jesus Christ. They see Christ acting in us instead of me acting. They see it in my life. They see it in your life. In fact, the Bible exhorts us to allow Jesus to live in us. Galatians 2, look at verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. You are crucified with Christ. And we know we have it. we're not dead. The fact and Paul says, that's true. I am crucified with Christ. But Paul says, I still live. But then he admits, it's not I, it's not me. It's Christ living in me. And that's what it means to be hidden in Christ. The actions of Christ are seen in us. Not our actions, the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is very emphatic here. He says, the life that I'm now living right now, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ. The very one who loved me enough and died for my sins. So Paul says, my life is hid in Christ. And that's what it means. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul wrote these words. For to me, to live is what? Is Christ. For me to live is Christ. As I told you earlier, we live in a mixed up world. But I want to tell you something, folks. There's a lot of people in the church who are mixed up too. We live in a topsy-turvy world, an upside-down world. And too many, too many people who claim to be Christians, and they may be, live in an upside world as well. Now, you've got to know, I love Sundays. And I confess, it's the hardest day of my week. After Sunday evening, when I'm done, I am done. <laughs> Stick a fork in me, right? It's done. And I want you to realize, and I know I get paid to do this, and I appreciate that. Is Rick awake over there, Ruby? Oh, rats. 
One time I want to go to sleep, I'll be now. I'd do it if he didn't pay me, okay? It's such a privilege. But since the day Pam and I were saved, over 30 years ago, Brother Paul's and I dressed, I know that. Our life has revolved around Christ. It's not just a Sunday thing for us. It never has been. And too many Christians, if they do come to church, and we're glad you're here, by the way. I know a lot that do not. I don't know how they can do that, but they do. But it's almost like an afterthought. But folks, our lives, because we're hid in Christ, it ought to revolve around Christ, around heavenly things. So to be hidden in Christ, in God, it also means that when God looks at me, guess who he sees? He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus instead of me. Thank God for that. And that's the only reason, now hear me, because when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. That's the only reason I can stand righteous before God. Because if he saw me, I'm not righteous. I'm working on it. I've been declared righteous. And when God looks at me, he now sees Jesus. And now before the eyes of God, I am righteous. That allows me to be righteous before God. So I ask you again, is your life hidden in Christ? Two ways at least, at least two ways. We're going to talk about two this morning. Two ways in which Jesus Christ is our life. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 16 and 17. For by him, speaking about Christ, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, or all things created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So who created everything? Jesus did. That means he created us. But not only did he create us, Paul said, not only before all things, it's by him all things consist. The same Christ who created us now sustains our life here on earth. I remember reading in one of David's Psalms during the time when he was fleeing from Saul, he made a statement. I don't have that verse either, you hear me? He said, there's just a step between me and death. Guess who else that's true for? All of us. It's only by the sustaining power of Jesus Christ that we are here on this planet. So number one, he created us and he sustains. Number two, he gives us spiritual life. John 10, look at verse 10. I am come 
that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, let me stop here for a moment. A lot of the health and wealth preachers will tell you, there it is. God wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to have that abundant life. Rolls Royces, planes, all the things you can think of. That's what that verse says. No, it's not. Christ helped us to have the abundant life spiritually. And my friend, that kind of life, nothing in this world can affect. It can't add to it, and it can't detract from it. John 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So he gives us spiritual life. John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, remember this, okay? Is Jesus giving you physical life? Maybe somebody better pinch you, huh? But he is. He gives us physical life. And that's for everyone, saved or lost. But the main question is, is he giving you spiritual life? Now, he wants to give to everyone. It's available to anyone, but only those who come to Jesus Christ. Now, remember, Paul says that when Jesus appears, when he comes back in glory, we will also appear with him in glory. You know why? Because he's given us spiritual life. And let me say it again. Christ is coming again to take us home. And no wonder Paul is talking about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God in heaven where we look for the Savior. Because my friend, that's the day we need to anticipate. Christ is coming again. As a child of God, we don't have to be afraid of that day. We don't have to live in dread of that day. Because that day, on that day, I am going to be glorified with Christ. Amen. And when I see him, guess what? I'll be just like he is. Amen. i got to tell you, folks, i got a long way to go. But here's the deal. The one who began that work in me 40 years ago, I don't know, sometime around there, he'll he'll finish it. He'll complete what he has begun. When he appears... Now think about that, folks. This is a promise from God. And I realize sometimes in our life we don't even feel saved. Sometimes we don't even act saved, right? But that truth can never change. When Christ appears, we will appear with him in glory. (laughs) New creatures in Christ. Philippians 3, look at verse 21. Look what's going to happen. Who shall change our vile body. 
that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Remember who's writing this, the Apostle Paul. What a man of God he was. How he put his life in danger often to preach the gospel across the known world. And here he is toward the end of his life. And he still realizes all that he has done, he still has a vile body. And Paul says, I'm looking forward to a day when Christ is going to come and he's going to take this vile body of mine and he's going to take it and he's going to make it just like his glorious body. Because here's the thing we understand, need to understand what we can never do for ourselves. Jesus is going to finish. Amen. He's going to change our vile body. And one of these days, church, one of these glorious days, hallelujah, one of these glorious days, Christ will transform our vile body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. When we see him, we will be just like him. Praise the Lord. So if we are alive in Christ, if we're born again, if we have risen with Christ, heavenly things will have an effect on our lives. Our lives will be changed. We will live differently. We will talk differently. And Christ will live through us. Three final questions, repeating them. Do you have a desire to seek heavenly things? If you're born again, you will have a desire. Number two, do you desire to mind to set your affection on heavenly things? If you're born again, you'll desire that. Question number three, do you have a desire to live heavenly things? If you're born again, you will want to live heavenly things. Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful today for your goodness and your word. Thankful, Lord, that I've been risen with Christ. May I continually set my affection on things above. Seek things above with my mind. But Lord, along with that, help me to live heavenly things. Especially, Lord, every day in this world, this wicked world, in front of my unsaved loved ones, that they might see the hope of glory in me. They desire the same thing. Father, I pray for all who are listening today. I pray that all of them here are saved, but God, if they're not, they need to be. And I pray, Lord, you'll speak to their hearts. Anyone listening online, speak to their hearts as well. And God, I'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.